How's everybody doing this morning? Thought like three people were going to come, but I guess on a Saturday morning, praise the Lord, y'all are up and early. If you fall asleep, I won't point you out. Amen. I'll be nice. I'll be as nice as I possibly can. So how many were here yesterday? Most everybody, okay? Um, So yesterday we started uh, with asking a question, what are we standing for? And so today we're just going to kind of build upon that. What are we standing for in in today's uh, morning session and then first afternoon session and the last afternoon session? They're just going to keep building on that uh, theme so that you can kind of do the building blocks of uh, what we need to know. So before we go in, let's just pray. Heavenly Father, uh, it's a privilege and an honor to worship you early on a Saturday morning, to get up and to glorify your name. God, I just think about some people who don't know the truth, and maybe last night was a rough night, or they were up, and this morning they're just waking up to be hungover. They're waking up trying to remember why they did what they did last night. But God, we're waking up this morning to give you praise and glory and honor. And it doesn't make us better than them, oh God. It it should break our hearts to know that they too aren't joining with us this morning to praise you. And there are, I'm sure, plenty of brothers and sisters this morning who don't live in this area. They don't know about this seminar. Maybe they just weren't aware of it. And they're talking to you this morning. They're praising you. So God, we just stand alongside of them and we ask that Lord, you were, your spirit would move in this place. Your spirit would move in this community. Your spirit would begin to break down the walls of lies, oh God. Break down the walls of opinion. Break down the walls, oh God, of falsehood in people's lives so that every morning they would get up to praise you and to honor you. Every morning they would get up, oh God, with an expectation in their heart that you're going to speak to them and you're going to direct and guide them today. So God, I ask to be hidden once again behind your Holy Spirit, that you would speak with clarity of thought and clarity of speech. And Lord, that we would all learn from your word today and walk away with an understanding of who you are greater than we had yesterday. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So today, what I want to start us off, yesterday we talked about what are we standing for. And the theme for this particular seminar is stand firm in truth. So we know what we're standing for. We we kind of got the foundation. But what is the truth that we're standing for? If we don't have that nailed out, we talked about it a little bit in kind of a personal aspect. But what is the truth that we're actually standing for? A lot of times we hear uh, that thrown uh, thrown around and today as... People will use the term, how many of you ever heard? Well, that's your truth. That's not my truth. Well, that's just a lie. That's a bunch of baloney because there's only one truth. And what they're really saying is if you are bringing something that is true and they know it, they don't want to accept it. So therefore, they they have found a way. Man always finds a way to counteract or to steal terminology that God has put in there. And so that's not my truth. That's your truth. Well, if your truth doesn't line up with the truth of the Bible, if my truth doesn't line up with the truth of the Bible, then it's not truth. It's just my opinion. So this morning, we're going to talk about that, and uh, we're going to expound on the truth aspect that forms the foundation. We're going to talk about this truth that forms our foundation, and it begs the question. So today, I've, I've entitled it, 
definition truth. But it begs a question, what is truth? What is truth? And so I want to throw that question out. I want to ask someone or two or three people, uh, raise your hand if you can answer that question. What is truth? Simple. Don't give me a long theological answer. But if someone was standing there and said, well, what is truth? What would you tell them? God is truth. Who's God? The God of the universe. Oh, great. So I'm Muslim, so I think my God created the universe. Well, that's wonderful. We agree. Thank you so much. Glad to know that uh, we agree on truth now. Right? What is truth? Somebody else. What? The word of God. (laughs) Somebody knows quite well. So the word of God, uh, well, I believe in the word of God, the Quran. So thank you. I'm so glad we agree with that truth. Anybody else? Ah, now you all don't want to be called out anymore. That's what it is. Jesus. Uh Uh-oh. So my stance in my God, whether I'm Muslim or Buddhist, Or the word of God, I believe in the Quran, or I believe in some of the other scriptures. Oh, now we have a problem. Because my idea of Jesus is different than your idea. But for many people, this becomes the issue. They don't mind this word. People talk about that word all day, God. Because it's a light word. Now, when we talk about God, we're talking about a holy God. We're talking about God the Father. We're talking about not just a ubiquitous word. We're talking about God. But the world has kind of taken that and expounded on it and used that word. This, however, Jesus, now that becomes an issue. You can talk about God all day long. When you start talking about Jesus, people get a little antsy. They get a little twisted. They get face gets a little contorted because now they know that you have narrowed it down to something very specific. And many other religions have tried to incorporate Jesus in. Well, he's a good prophet. He's good this. He's good that. But in the society culture we live, we know. And they've tried to steal it to make Jesus your homeboy, make Jesus your friend. And that's okay. We're going to dig in a little deeper to make sure that they know we're talking about not Jesus, our homeboy, or Jesus, our friend, or Jesus, our nice accessory as we walk around this earth, but the real Jesus. All right? So let's go into that. We're going to talk about three viewpoints. Okay? Three viewpoints on truth. The first viewpoint, secular. This viewpoint is based on a narrow perspective shaped by society and culture and followed by many. This is the popular choice. 
This is a very popular choice. It's a narrow perspective, but it's followed by many. This viewpoint, I'm going to give you three kind of subpoints. so hear me out. It claims tolerance, but promotes exclusivity. Claims tolerance, but promotes exclusivity. It claims equality, but it perpetrates division. And it claims, claims equality, but perpetrates division. And last, it claims choice, but expects conformity. Claims choice, but expects conformity. This is very popular And for many people who want acceptance, they love the secular viewpoint because it becomes popular, it becomes acceptable, it becomes the the trendy way to do things. And it claims that it's tolerant, but in reality, it's not. Because you can talk about God in the secular viewpoint, they're okay with that. Oh, it's God, that's fine, that's wonderful. Whether you believe in him or not, it's okay, believe in what you want to. When you start talking about Jesus, they have a problem. So they're very exclusive, and they're exclusive in the simple fact that they want you to believe exactly how they believe, and if you don't, you basically become the enemy. They won't say that, but their actions will show that. They'll want to censor you. They'll want to stop you from being able to, you're intolerant, you're a bigot, you're this. And Christians increasingly in the Western world, because this is very popular amongst the glitterati, the, the media, it's very popular with celebrities. It's very, very popular to take the secular one because they can be accepted by all. I don't, I don't have to step on any toes. The only problem is you're going to step on toes whether you like it or not. So this, this viewpoint really ends up being false. It claims equality, but in reality, it perpetrates division. We're equal among everyone, but the moment you don't agree with one of their points, then it divides you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Her question was, do you believe secularism? This viewpoint has crept into the church. Absolutely. Because of our desire what we consume, and we're going to talk about that a little later in the day, what we consume, what we do. This is popular for a reason. When you're in school, there's the popular person, and you just want to be their friend. Or if you are the popular person, you know, you're the, you, you feel the pressure to constantly be popular. The popular choice is always what everyone wants to follow. It looks good on social media. It looks good on when you're doing an interview. It looks good to claim this. And there are many, uh, and the only reason I go back to celebrities, I'm not bashing them, is a lot of them will go back to this because once you get a taste of that fame, you just, it's like a, it's a double-edged sword because they want their privacy, they want this, they want that. But at the same time, that fame has got a hold of them. So they have to forego a lot of what they have personally been taught or personally believed because this You have to maintain this at all times. If you don't maintain that, you become tainted. Companies who years ago would never endorse certain things to maintain this will start endorsing stuff. Now, theirs is usually out of greed, but now on social media, all it takes is you post one negative thing about a country. They'll flip-flop in a heartbeat. People will flip-flop. Politicians will go after this. 
because it's a popular choice. The funny thing is most research shows that the bulk of their citizens, the bulk of people don't agree with this, but everybody jumps on the bandwagon. And later today, we're going to talk about groupthink and how people will jump on that. It claims choice, but expects conformity. You conform to this. It will never conform to you. And when it creeps into the church, that becomes a problem because the Bible reminds us that we have to transform our mind and conform to Christ. But this will never move. It never has in all the years. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. One size fits all. But we know that that rarely ever works. It doesn't work in clothes, doesn't work in shoes, doesn't work in a lot. That's the first viewpoint. The second viewpoint is religious. This viewpoint is based on a broad perspective shaped by combining the secular, and we're going to talk about the third viewpoint, which is the God viewpoint. This one is in the middle for a reason. It tries to combine the both, secular and God. But it's a broad perspective shaped by combining the secular and God viewpoints, and it's actually followed by most. It's the common choice. Around the world, this is what most people adhere to, a religious viewpoint. I know in Western society, we're moving more and more secular, but if you go to the Middle East, or you go to Asia, or you go to the Indian subcontinent, or you go to South America, there is a dominant religion that they tend to follow. But the thing is, it's religious. And usually they're, depending, if you look in the Middle East or you look in some of the Indian sub, it's all divided. And you see wars coming out of that and different things. But most of those people, and even American, uh, Americans and Canadians to a certain degree, we're a bit religious through Christianity. But it goes to your point. We're tra- always trying, this one always tries to combine these two. Always. This viewpoint which is common, claims grace but promotes rebellion. The religious one. We're talking about the religious one. It claims grace but promotes rebellion. God is a gracious God. God is this, but it really promotes rebellion because at some point it's going to intersect with God. It's going to collide or conflict with God and conflict with secular. So it claims grace, but promotes rebellion. Claims love, but perpetrates hate. They claim love, the religious people, but they perpetrate hate. As we talk about that later, you're going to see it comes out. When we talk about hot topics and some of the, the hate will come out. And in some of the religions, without going into that, you know, they, they will start fighting in um, one particular country. Uh, in the, some of the Asian countries, it's a tit for tat. So the Muslims will attack the Christians and the Christians will turn around and attack the Muslims. Uh, where's our biblical stance as Christians where, you know, love your enemies. But that's what happens because those people are religious. And they're trying to intersect the both. Or how many people, this where it comes to us, we try to include the secular because we want to be popular, but we have an understanding of who God is, and we like, I don't want to go to hell either. So I'm going to try and combine them. That never works. The last thing, they it claims righteousness, but expects 
repentance. Claims righteousness, but expects penance. Religion will say, you did X, now you're going to have to do Y and Z to fix X. And that's what religious people do. That's the works mentality of Christianity. I have angered God, so I have to do one, two, three, and four to get back in God's graces. Other religions will do that. Think about it. They have to, you, you have monks who go and they have to, they can't eat and they've got to fat. We're always trying to do something, penance. We're always trying to pay that penance for what we've done. That is not righteousness. Righteousness is Christ. Righteousness is covered by God. He says, no, you could do all that you want to do. You can slaughter as many animals. You can fast for 80 days if you want. You can do whatever you want to do. If your heart is not right with God, you can do Y and Z and A through double A if you want to. It's never going to work. But that's what these religions always try to do. They dive into the secular and do something they shouldn't do. And then they're trying to fix it with God. Oh, I know I shouldn't. I shouldn't go to that club, but I'm going to sun, I'm going to church on Sunday anyway. Besides, Pastor Mona's not going to be there, so who's going to know? Right? And the club just so happens to be next to the superstore, and at 10 o'clock at night, she realizes she doesn't have kale. And she's running to get kale while you're coming out of the club. God's funny, right? <laughs> Seriously. But it's always willing to dive into the secular and then trying to pay penance there because there's not a, a, a full understanding of what righteousness is. Now, the last viewpoint isn't the God viewpoint because that would just be wrong. Last viewpoint is Jesus. This viewpoint is based on a focused perspective shaped by the Bible, and followed by few. I'll say that again. This viewpoint is based on a focused perspective, shaped by the Bible, and followed by few. And it's the right choice. It may not be common, may not be popular, but it's the right choice. I'm going to switch something up here. If you notice, I've been using three particular words when I give it. The first one is promote. Second one is perpetrate. Oops. Take that. Okay, I did spell it right. And the last one is expect. And I've used the word claims. But for this one, we're going to change that word to demand. This one demands repentance, but promotes forgiveness. The Jesus viewpoint demands repentance, but promotes forgiveness. To get right with God, when we talked about it yesterday, there were some issues called sin that created a division. 
This desire, this demands a repentance because man made the choice. Jesus brings that into forgiveness. It demands repentance, but it promotes forgiveness. When someone does us wrong, we expect the offense to be rectified, but it promotes that we forgive. It demands surrender, but perpetrates freedom. Most people, God's ways are are kind of very different. Not kind of, they are very different. To the world, we think that surrender is not equating to freedom. That when we surrender, you're giving up. You're throwing in the towel. You're now under the control of someone else. Yeah, you are. That's in spiritual terms. When you surrender your life, you're given to Jesus. But with Jesus comes freedom. And I think that's the hardest part for people to understand. When we tell them, surrender your life to Jesus, he will bring freedom. They cannot equate the two. But for those of us who have surrendered to Jesus, we understand when Paul says, I'm free to do whatever I want to do. But out of the love and the grace and the mercy of God, I just don't do certain stuff. I don't want to abuse his grace. I don't want to to have to constantly work on the penance part. Because with Christ, when he begins to transform, there's such a freedom. I have a freedom, a freedom from the worry of death a freedom from the worry of life's cares, a freedom of of the past. Oh, I made mistakes, but I'm free. And I trust that God will rectify that. It demands surrender, but perpetrates freedom. It demands justice, but expects mercy. Demands justice, but expects mercy. God demands justice for the sin. God demands justice when we do wrong. But oh, how merciful he is. Throughout the Old Testament, as you read how many times he told the children of Israel, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. But even then, I'm gonna, there's going to be so much mercy poured out to you. And if you would just cry out to me, mercy will flow. Mercy will always triumph justice in God's book. Always. It always has, it always will. That was the issue with Jonah. You remember the story of Jonah? God told him to go to Nineveh because he has heard about their sin and go. And Jonah decided, no, no, no. I'm going to get on a boat and I'm going to go to another city. I'm not going to Nineveh. Well, God met him along the way in the belly of a well. (laughs) And that well really had some good muscles to spit him up where he needed him to be. And he went through preaching and the king, this evil, evil city, the king and all of its citizens fell before God and repented. And Jonah got mad. And what does he tell God? I knew you were a merciful God. I knew this was going to happen. That's why I didn't want to come. Even in our stubbornness, most of the time we know. We know that God is a merciful God. Because it demands justice, but it expects mercy. These are the three viewpoints of truth. And you have to pick one because guess what? You don't get to 
You don't get to kind of jump between the three of them. You will have to pick one viewpoint in life. You have to. You, you don't, if I'm going, if I want to go to the store and I want to go to McDonald's, I can't go both. And don't tell me there's a McDonald's in the Walmart and you, I'm, that way it's a two for one or don't be the smart aleck this morning. But what I'm trying to tell you is even though you go to the store, you still have to shop at the store before you go to McDonald's. You can't go to both. Even if it's really close located in the same building, you still have to choose. That you choose life or you choose death. You have to choose a viewpoint. Either you're going to go with a secular, a religious, or a Jesus viewpoint, but you don't get to mix them. And if you say, well, you really could, then you're just religious. Okay? Now, there's two types of truth I want to go over. Absolute truth. Relative truth. Now, you could really go into this further, but for time's sake, remember, we're going to keep it moving along. You could, you could read online abs, uh, relativism. You can read all about it. There's tons of philosophy websites. They're going to go into it. But I just want to quickly jump into these, and I want to get to the basics. Absolute truth is defined as inflexible reality. Inflexible reality. There's no flexibility in absolute. Inflexible reality. It's fixed, invariable, unalterable fact. Fixed, invariable, unalterable fact. That means it, you cannot move them. The facts are the facts. The end. This is a... Whatever type of green chair it is, it's a green chair. And you cannot change that. You can't say, I think it's brown. I think it's white. I think it's blue. It's green. If I take it anywhere, to any store, to any person, they'll say, it's a green chair. It's a fixed fact. An example is, there are no square circles and there are no round squares. Right? This is a circle. Right here. Who believes that? Oh, come on. It's a circle. Look, are you blind this morning? That's a circle and this is a square. Right? You all aren't. You're not. I, I feel I've lost the trust of the audience. This is a square and that's a circle. Do you see how preposterous that is? You're looking at me like, if he keeps this up, I'm going to the bathroom. <laughs> there is no alternating the facts. There's no adding opinion. You can't say, well, in my opinion, I think it kind of looks like a square. It is what it is. Relative truth. It's defined as a flexible reality. And in this relative truth, there are no absolute truths. This doesn't exist in the relative universe. That doesn't exist. It's all flexible. You can call this chair whatever you want to. Call it whatever color you want. Truth is relative. That's where the statement comes from. That's your truth, not my truth. I say this is a white chair and you're not going to change it. I don't care what you say. I, I want to see it as white. It's white. 
and you're thinking, and you can see whatever you want to see. But the reality is that these statements are false because their foundation is on a reality. If I say there is no truth, then that's an absolute. Because I'm making a definitive statement. So for me to say this doesn't exist, you've just made an absolute. Because what if I want to believe in absolute truth? You have now thrown me out the window. And you have fixed a variable. You see that? And then all of a sudden, this becomes your truth. So now, you say there's no absolutes and there's no truth. But you have made this your truth. And you have made it an absolute. You have, in effect, canceled yourself out. Which leaves absolute truth. So for the sake of argument, now what we need to determine is who or what defines truth. Absolute truth. Our moral compass and basis of determining right versus wrong has to come from somewhere. Because truth deals with morality. Truth deals with right versus wrong. Truth has to set the standard, correct? Do we all agree on that? So it has to come from somewhere. Let's turn to the Bible. Romans 1, 18 to 23. Romans 1, 18 to 23. Let's read that. Are we there? Romans 1, 18 to 23. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they begin to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they became, instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. That's a definitive. You know, recently in the U.S., uh, over the last two or three weeks, we've had three mass shootings. And we'll never fully understand the reason for them uh, for these folks to decide in their head to go out and murder innocent people. We can claim that it's violent video games, lax laws on gun control, terrible family upbringing, mental illness. We can throw a lot of things on there, but, uh, you know, social outcasts. But there was a popular celebrity named Oprah. Maybe you've heard of her. Uh, and she said, they asked her in a recent interview about these mass shootings. And she said, these are her words, that these people are missing a core moral center. These people are missing a core moral center. Well, I happen to agree with her. I happen to agree with her. If a non-Christian can recognize the problem, why can't Christians? Why can't we do that? 
As a matter of fact, she hit the nail on the head. At the core of truth is morality. The core of truth is morality. And it has to be defined. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to define truth and morality. It's interesting as we read in light of that scripture. God makes himself known. And people know it. And when someone such as her who reads quite a bit. She's a very educated woman in her own right. She definitely does a lot. Now, I'm not promoting her. Don't misunderstand me. But what I'm just saying is, if they're reading and doing all of this and dibble-dabbling, and in my opinion, she has a very religious viewpoint because she knows how to dibble-dabble into certain religious elements uh, mixed with a secular. If she can understand that the real issue isn't all of these external things, but they're missing a core moral center, then we should also understand that because we're Christians. We define morality because we worship the one true living God who gave us morals. Moral principles come from somewhere that is an absolute truth. It is not a relative truth. It's an absolute truth that morality has to come from somewhere. And we've defined where that comes from, from God. So let's go into it even more. First thing we're going to define is truth. Merriam-Webster's Dictionary defines truth as this. The body of real things, events, and facts. This is what Merriam-Webster says. The body of real things, events, and facts. Even the dictionary understands what truth is. But the key word here is real. That's absolute truth. Real. Not fake, not made up, not opinionated. Real. It also defines it as the state of being the case, a fact. And then they put in there, often capitalize a transcendent fundamental of spiritually, spiritual reality. That's interesting. They used big words, often capitalized, so that means a capital T, a transcendent fundamental or spiritual reality. It's funny how they recognize the spiritual component as they're writing this. Now, truth as defined, so this is Merriam-Webster's, truth as defined in the Bible is going to be found in John. 18, 37 to 38. John 18, 37 to 38. The Bible defines truth as Jesus Christ. John 18, 37 to 38. Now, Jesus is standing before Pilate, right? And the Jewish religious leaders have given him up. They've kind of reached the pinnacle of what they've always wanted. He's been arrested, and now he's standing before Pilate, and they want him crucified because the world will always try 
in their version of truth to crucify or kill absolute truth. They will always try and come against absolute truth because absolute truth shines a light on what's happening. It shines a light on their false truth. It shines a light and it can't stand up. If we turned all the lights off in this room, any, what say there wasn't windows, it would be very dark. And if you tried to steal something from somebody's purse next to you and then all of a sudden a spotlight comes on, you're busted. Everybody will be able to see it. Well, that's what Jesus does. He's the light in the midst of darkness. And that's what Pilate is about to realize. So he stands before Pilate and Pilate says to him, so you are a king. Jesus responded, yes, you say, you say I am a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. What is truth, Pilate asked. Then he went out again to the people and told them, he is not guilty of any crime. What is truth? Boy, Pilate hit it, hit it right there on the nail, right? What is truth? Truth was standing before him. Truth was in his face. And he goes out and tells the, the crowd, I don't see anything wrong with this truth. I don't see anything wrong with this truth. Yet the crowd said, he's not our truth, so crucify him. The problem with that is, and you could go through many other studies of that, we do the same thing every day when we don't trust in the biblical definition of truth in Jesus Christ. We crucify the truth and we move from absolute truth to a relative truth. And many of us say, oh, I don't do that. I believe in Jesus. Do you? Does it come out in your actions? Does it come out in your speech? Does it come out in what you believe? Or are you willing to have a religious viewpoint and transcend to the secular when needed because you want to be popular or accepted? Nobody likes to be rejected. Nobody likes that. We get that. But for the sake of rejection, we cannot reject Christ. Does that make sense? For the sake of you being rejected, you cannot reject Christ. Because he's absolute truth. And out of his truth comes morality. So let's define that. Let's define morality. Again, let's start with the secular source, Merriam-Webster's Dictionary. Merriam-Webster's Dictionary defines morality as of or relating to principles of right and wrong in behavior. They kind of hit the nail there. Expressing or teaching a conception of right behavior. Conforming to a standard of right behavior. Sanctioned by or operative on one's conscience or ethical judgment. Capable of right and wrong action. 
So they're defining morality as right and wrong behavior, and I don't necessarily disagree with that. Because if your morals are in the right place, your actions, which is what this is, these are actions. If your morals are in the right place, then your actions will follow. How do you say you love someone if you never talk to them, you never call them, you never bring them their favorite flowers if you're living in their home for free? <laughs> are you laughing? That kind of hits home for you? Okay. She's laughing because she thinks I'm talking about Jonathan. But um, I, we needed an illustration this morning to wake people up. You can't say that you love your child and all you ever do is scold them and beat them, or you love your spouse and you're cheating on them. If I were to expound on that, you would just, that's not love. That's not love. That's wrong behavior. Your morals are in the wrong place. But when you say you love someone and, and you hug them and you kiss them and, and you're there for them and you let them know all's going to be right and you're loyal to them, then you would say, yes, oh, yes, your, your actions are showing that you love. Your actions are, are proving a point on, did y'all get an argument this morning? Is that, no, I <laughs> the Your actions are proving a point. So they understand that concept. But the Bible also has a definition on morality. The Bible defines morality in the flesh and spirit, sinful and sin-free. It takes right and wrong to the next level. And it understands that we have a flesh-spirit issue. And a sin, sinless or sin-free issue. Because it's not just based on your actions. Because sometimes in, the, in necessarily the heat of the moment, you, your actions don't always agree with what you think. Because there may be times where I love this person, but they've frustrated me. They've upset me. And so I say something that I don't necessarily mean deep in my heart, but in the moment it comes out out of an emotionally driven uh, response. Correct? We can all agree on that. You love your spouse. You care for them. You love your child. But when your child does something that's wrong in the moment, you stop it. Right? And they're thinking, well, that wasn't loving. Yes, it is. I'm, I'm warning you that if you don't stop it, it's going to get worse. So it's not based on the right, wrong behavior. And to take it even higher, the Bible's going to talk about, and we're going to go into some scriptures, that we have a flesh-spirit issue. The two are always warring each other. There's a battle going on. And the Bible makes it very clear. The flesh is born out of the sin. The spirit is born out of the sin-free, sinless. And I should probably, this is your spirit, but it should be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Because the flesh, by the way, is not controlled by the devil, it's controlled by you. Many times, oh, the devil made me do it. Really? 
Let me deviate for one moment and, and, and give you a good illustration that as Christians, the world follows our lead. We put just a little too much prominence on the devil. Number one, he's not omniscient. He's not omnipotent. He can't be everywhere and he doesn't know everything. So if I'm on the phone to you and say, man, the devil was after me last night. Me too. One of you lied. Because the devil was not at your house and mine. He wasn't. He can't. It's impossible. It is absolutely impossible for him to be in two places at two time, at the same time. You also can't say, well, the devil made me do it. He doesn't know what you're thinking. You have to voice it. Then he's like, oh, so that's what they're thinking. That's why many times be careful what you voice. Even in the prayer closet. Now, don't go in the prayer closet and say, oh, I can't talk to God. The devil might hear it. We don't walk in that type of fear. God, you, you know the thing. The thing. <laughs> you know, the, the thing, the thing, the thing. I don't want to say it, but yeah. Well, he says confess with our mouth. Because what he does, he doesn't want us to fall into that realm where we're fearful the devil might hear me, the devil might... No, God says confess it because he's much bigger than the devil. He is omnipotent. He is omnipresent. So if you say, you know what? I was in prayer and Jesus met me. Me too. That's the truth. Because he can be at your house and my house at the same time. And when I go in the prayer closet, I can voice everything to him because the devil can't do anything to me without his permission. So I can voice it, and God knows I'm being vulnerable, and I'm, I'm telling the deepest thoughts of what I'm going through. The devil doesn't get to turn around and use it against me, because God can say, uh, no. I know that's a vulnerable spot, so no, you, you don't get to touch that. You, you can go to Pastor Mona's house tonight. <laughs> do you understand? So the flesh spirit, stop putting everything on the devil. You have a choice. You chose where you sat today. You can't sit there and be like, the devil made me sit here. Now, God may speak to you and tell you to sit somewhere. The devil may tempt you at times when you walk into church and you're like, hallelujah. Oh, well, she looks good. Let me go sit over there. That's probably the devil. No, I'm only kidding. Your flesh, your flesh, your flesh. This is your flesh. And we all have it. Now, it's birthed out of a sin nature. But even Adam and Eve, they had to make the choice to allow that sin nature into humanity. We got some words with them when we get to heaven, right? Uh, Can I talk to you, brother, for a minute? No, no, not right now, Peter. I need to talk to Adam over here. (laughs) I'll get to you in a moment. Right? The choice was made and that entered into us. And we make choices every day. And either we walk in the obedience of the spirit, or we walk in the obedience of the flesh. There is no middle ground. I, you ever hear people give this testimony, or they say, well, I kind of had one foot in the world and one foot in God? That can't happen. Humpty Dumpty fell off the wall, and so are you. You can't have one foot in the world, and one, you can't have one foot in the flesh and one foot in the spirit. Either you're fully planted and operating in the spirit when you're making a decision, when you're doing something, or you're doing it in the flesh. And these two are always at war. So don't beat yourself up. Everybody has a flesh. 
pinch it. It's there, right? Go ahead, pinch it. It's there. That flesh is always there, and it will be until you get to eternity. So if your morality, depending on your decision, dives into the flesh, that's your choice. If your morality dives into the spirit, then you're listening to the Holy Spirit because he's the one that leads and guides and corrects. If you're sinning, then you're listening to the flesh. Because the Bible says God never tempts us to sin. The Bible tells us he never puts on us more than we can bear. If you're living sinless and free in an area, then the spirit, you're leaning on the spirit for the strength to keep you and to move in that. Because that too is a choice. Deliverance, yes, it comes. Yes, it's by the Holy Spirit. But the devil will always try and tempt you. If somebody comes and drops a a kilo of cocaine in front of me, I'm going to think it's sugar. I'm going to grab a vacuum and vacuum it up. I'm not tempted by it. Even if they were like, do you know that was cocaine? Eh, I'm not tempted by it. That's not my vice. That's not what I'm tempted by. But some of us who've struggled with drugs, it was like, well, what are you doing? That's cocaine. That's like $100,000, right? I mean, I'm just saying, you know, you know, right? Somebody else is going to be tempted by that. The same with alcohol or gossip or lust or the, the list goes on. For some people, they're just not tempted by it. That's not where they struggle. But for others, they are. The devil is forever bringing temptation. Temptation is not a sin. So that's why you can't say the devil made me do it. No, no. He may have tempted you. One of his little demons may have tempted you. More than likely, your flesh, because it lives in the sin nature, tempted you. But you have a choice to either take this temptation to the sin level or take it to the cross and walk free. That's your choice. He didn't take the apple, hold Eve's mouth open. Now, I'm not saying it was an apple, but just follow my my thing. And you're going to eat this and shove it down her throat. He just simply said, here you go. You know, if he was in the form of a serpent, he didn't even touch the apple. He just said, did God really say? He just brought doubt. And we're going to talk about that later today. The temptation is there because he wants to destroy you. He wants to bring your morality into the flesh, but you have the choice. Now, I want to go to some scriptures. The entire crux of the scripture deals with this battle. This is literally what the battle is. It's not right and wrong behavior. These come out of this. See, the world only sees the surface stuff. There he is sitting here listening to everything I'm saying. The morality, maybe they'll get saved at Apple. The morality is, sir, uh, um, sorry, not sorry. The world only sees the surface problems. As Christians, we've got to dig deeper. This is the problem. So when you're dealing with people and you're standing for truth, do not get caught up in this. It will only create arguments frustration, anger. It will only cause you get emotionally charged. And today in the third session, we're going to talk about some hot topics that those hot topics are behavior-based. And many Christians lose their cool. They go out in left field. They get emotionally charged themselves because they are focused on this. And when you're focused on the wrong thing, then you're going to lose it. But when you stay focused on the real issue, then you're able to operate in the fruit of the Spirit. 
One of them being self-control. It is a flesh-spirit issue, morality. It is not a behavioral issue. So it was funny that she was able to say they're missing a core moral center. Yes, they are, because they are not focused on this. And the unfortunate part is she wasn't able to articulate that better because maybe perhaps she isn't focused on this. But let's turn to the Bible. There are so many scriptures we could go on and on all day, but for time's sake, let's turn to the Bible and let's read a few. Mark 7, 20 to 23. Mark 7, 20 to 23. We ready? And then he added, it is what comes from inside you that defiles you. Mind you, let me pause for a moment. In the context of the scripture, context is everything. The religious leaders, once again, are coming to Jesus, and they're upset at something his disciples are doing. They didn't wash their hands before they ate. And some of you are thinking, that's not biblical. Uh, you listen, yes, for germs, that's amazing, but you could pick your nose and then go eat a grape. Don't eat my grape or hand me the grape, but if that's what you want to do, that's your business. It's not going to possibly kill you. And so they were stuck on a traditional way of doing things. And so they've come to him and they've asked, you know, why aren't they washing their hands? This is very important. They have almost made washing your hands a traditional ceremony. They've attached it to salvation, which is a danger that many Christians do. We attach a lot of things to salvation out of tradition. That is not how it works. Salvation is only through Jesus Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection. And the Holy Spirit comes to live within you. Now, there are things that he asks us to do. He wants to transform our life. He wants to change us. And we have to believe within our heart. But salvation comes through him and him alone. Does that make sense? It comes from, we don't add to salvation. There are churches who will say, well, if you're not water baptized, if you're not speaking in tongues, you're not doing that, then I question your salvation. No, those are wonderful sacraments. Those are wonderful declarations. Those are things, communion, that Jesus says, I want you to do this because I want you to remember me. I want you to be water baptized because I want you to understand the publicness, how you are to be public in who you are. I want people to see that. I want you to, to have the fullness of the Holy Spirit and the evidence of speaking in tongues, but that's, there's so many other gifts the Holy Spirit gives. That's not the only one. So it's not attached to salvation. Salvation is in Christ. So we can't forget that. And religion will always want to add to it. Well, if you want to go to Jesus, you got to pray through the priest. You want to go to Jesus, you got to do that. You want to go to Jesus, they start adding stuff. And before long, somebody who's wanting to start the journey is like, Jesus? 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 I'm over here, but whew, there's so much to get there. May I just stay here? This seems a little easier. We can't do that. How can we be Christians and create such an impediment? Because you know what? You've lost the gospel. He bridges the divide. He bridges the gap. As a matter of fact, he left heaven and came here. He could have said, hey, you're going to have to do this and this and this and this, and you'll get closer to heaven, and I'll help you build an airplane. And then when you're up there, then you give your all to me, and we're closer, and that we're... No, he said, I'm coming right down to where you are. Right in your face. So the religious people obviously didn't like that. And they came to him, and they're going to question him. 
about his morality. How dare you don't wash your hands? Now make sure you wash your hands before you touch the food at lunch today, okay? That's not a religious thing at this point. It's just germs. Okay. Verse 20. And then he added, It is what comes from inside you that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. They come from within. All of these behaviors stem from one of these two things. Your behavior has a root, and it's either rooted in your flesh or it's rooted in your spirit. That's the morality. That's the core of morality. It's rooted in one of these. And as Christians, we always battle the flesh with the spirit. We understand that. The rest of the world is only operating on the flesh. Now, they'll say they got some spirit, but that spirit is a false spirit. That spirit has been born out of their flesh. They mock and mimic God with that. And you know what? Religious people do the same thing. They have a false spirit born out of their flesh. And that's what he was constantly coming against. Let's read another scripture. Romans 2. Romans 2. Where is Romans? Oh, Romans 2, 12 through 16. Romans 2, 12 through 16. When the Gentiles sinned, at that time he was speaking to non-Jewish believers. When the Gentiles sinned, they will be destroyed, even though they never had God's written law. And the Jews who do have God's law will be judged by that law when they fail to obey it. For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in his sight. Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. And this is the message I proclaim, that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. Now, we read in an earlier scripture that God is present. And that's why a celebrity at that level is able to say they're missing a core moral center. Do not forget the Holy Spirit's call goes to everyone. He is calling and he is trying to get their attention. And with statements like that, it lets me know that he's probably just trying to break through, perhaps in her life, trying to break through all those other things and just say they're missing a core moral center. Hey, It's Jesus, especially since knowing a bit of her past. She was raised in a in a Christian type of environment. I know she went through a lot of things, but it's Jesus. Just come back to understanding what it is. It's Jesus. The Holy Spirit is putting his call out. So every person that you encounter and you're standing the truth for, don't think for one moment the Holy Spirit isn't trying to draw them. Perhaps you being there is the way he's trying to draw them. So if they come with a behavioral issue and you're like, that's sin, that's wrong, you're going to go to hell, actually. Do you want to come to my church Sunday? No, I don't. 
Come to my house. I'm going to tell you how sinful you are. As a matter of fact, you shouldn't wear that, those clothes. They're not appropriate for church. Let me help you. Do you understand? We're all stuck here. What do you mean you're struggling with that? You know, you're going to go to hell. I mean, just hell is it. Just, you're burning. Whew. Think it's hot now. Wait till you get there. This heat wave is nothing. It's going to be like winter compared to... Folks, that's not drawing anyone. That's not drawing anybody. Because you're stuck on their behavior. What do you mean you did this? What do you mean that you have that type of trash? What do you mean that you indulge? What do you mean that you're addicted to that? Don't you know the Holy Spirit? Oh, he's going to fix it for you. And they're like, what in the world is going on? Let me pray for you in tongues. Hold on. I got some oil in my pocket. Do you mind if I dump this on you? Let me pray in tongues. Do you feel saved now? Right? No. We're in superstore, for goodness sakes. I'm just trying to get some strawberries. What are you doing? Trying to get you saved. Well, can you help me with strawberries first? Right? We have to be careful. You go up to your coworker. And you're like, they're persecuting me. They avoid you. No, you're annoying them. You're scaring them. Standing for truth. Remember, we talked about it yesterday. Your life. Your life is going to draw them. You say, hey, would you like to have lunch with me today? And you're not like, oh, I'm about to win them to Jesus today. This is it. I had like two hours in devos this morning. I mean, for the past two days, I had to have shower devos. But this morning, this is it. I'm going to win them. So how's your day? Good. Do you know Jesus? And they're like, uh, 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 no, just say, hey, how's life going? What's, what's new in your life? Oh, nothing much. You know, just things at home. Da, da, da. Have a conversation with them. Be normal. 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 Write that down. Normal. Because you're a human. You didn't all of a sudden get filled with the Holy Spirit. And now you're Iron Man. <laughs> you know, Captain Christian. I'm going to come through. What you, you're normal. Just be normal. And don't focus on this. Don't get lost in translation. Stay down here. Because you have the Holy Spirit. And you know they're operating in the flesh. So where you really fight your battle is in the prayer closet. God, when I go to work today, let my life shine for you. Let the actions that I do let, the, let what I say represent you today. And when somebody comes along and maybe they're struggling with a particular sin or they're living in a lifestyle, they're like, hey, can I eat lunch with you? Oh, flee the appearance of evil. Uh-uh, uh-uh, you can't eat with me. I got that Christian on the third floor is going to see you eat with me. Um, yeah, we can eat. I was thinking maybe we could go in your closet with the blinds closed and we'll eat in there so nobody sees. What? No. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to have lunch. Actually, I don't think I've ever had lunch with you. I don't really know much about you. I think it'd be great. Let's sit down and have lunch. What are you going through? What are you going through? I have a, a slightly personal story. I have a relative who struggles with a, a, a lifestyle. And um, they had broken up. They, they live in a lesbian lifestyle, and they had broken up with their girlfriend. And they're crying. They're looking at Facebook, and they're looking at it, and they're crying. And, and I'm thinking, how in the world 
I'm just going to be vulnerable and transparent with you. How, what am I going to say? There's more fish in the sea. There's, uh, don't worry, another one will come along. What am I going to say? Right? What do you say in that moment? They're visibly crying. She's shaken to the core. What am I supposed to say? Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, just love her. She's hurting. Just love her. It changed something in my heart. And I was able to put my arms around her and say, I'm sorry that you're hurting. I know it must really be rough. And I'm just, I'm really sorry about that. But I want you to know I love you. And I'm here for you. I didn't have to in that moment say, oh, good. Glad that was over. You know, it's not Christ-like anyway. Oh, my goodness. I'm telling you, this is the moment. Let me tell you about Jesus. No, just love her. It changed something in our relationship. I don't have to go through all of that. She knows I work for a church. She knows that I'm a real Christian. She knows what I stand for. Now's not the moment. Just love her. Because God is working way more than I am. I didn't focus on this. I was focusing on her and what she was going through. I was being led by this in hopes to counteract that. So that she'll walk away and say, you know what? Even though he's a Christian, he loves me. People know. Let's go to 1 John 3, 7 through 10. We're on morality. The definition as defined by the Bible. 1 John 3, 7 through 10. Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil, who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Those who have, not, who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. So now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not live, love others, other believers, does not belong to God. We're going to be able to tell. We're going to be able to tell. Out of this will come some behaviors. So when you see things, especially other believers, because this is who John is really kind of reaching to, when this behavior, don't get stuck on the behavior. Take time to find out what's going on. You see somebody engaging in something, say, hey, let me ask you a question. Just, you know, just wanted to chat with you. Uh, like, how, how's life going? What's going on? What's going on at home? What's going on in your mind? You know, how's your time with the Lord? We're believers, so we, we can talk about that. We can be open. It should never throw you off when somebody says, how's your time with the Lord? <gasps> Are you insinuating something? We almost think it's like sacraments, like it's sacred. They're like, don't, don't ask me that question. What do, you, what do you mean, how's the time with the Lord? Well, I mean, I, I wasn't praying for like four hours like Pastor Mona does every morning. What are you trying to compare me to her? Nobody, we shouldn't get offended like that, nor should you come at somebody like that. How long are you praying? 15 minutes. 15 minutes. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I can barely get my praises out in 15 minutes. At least worship for 20. 
What song are you singing before you pray? I'm supposed to sing a song? You aren't singing a song? <laughs> it says, come into his courts with thanksgiving, his house with prayer. You're not singing a song? Well, actually, I woke up late this morning. I had to pray in the shower. In the shower? You're washing your parts, praying to God? <laughs> what kind of Christian are you? God doesn't want to see all that. We start judging people based on that. Don't, don't get into that. Just generally, how's it going? You know, well, it's, been a, it's been a rough season. You know, it's, it's been really rough, and I find it hard to kind of spend time in the Word. Why do you find it hard to spend time in the Word? Not, don't get focused on spending time. In the, why are you finding it hard? We got to plug into the root. Where is it coming from in here? Well, you know what? I just, oh, you're, you're kind of, your priorities have shifted, so let's shift those back. Oh, you're, th- this has happened. That's, let's shift that back. Oh, this is, you know, I'm just, I'm really down. And I just, okay, so God didn't meet an expectation in your heart. Let's fix that. We have to hold each other up. Because guess what? If you're not there today, you'll be there tomorrow. Or you were there yesterday. So the actions aren't the core issue. The flesh spirit is the core issue. And we're going to know how people are based on this. Now, when they're a non-Christian, we, we can't just be quick to look at the behavior and then diagnose the issue. And we're going to talk about that a little later. Because if we don't know their full story and what's going on, we don't know how messed up this flesh part is. And as Christians, we need to be a little bit of a detective. Remember? Wise as a... Well, one person reads their Bible. Wise as a serpent, but gentle as a dove. Let me find out what's going on, why they feel that way. And we're going to talk about that later this afternoon. Now, as a Christian... Your moral compass comes from a healthy relationship with God. We talked about that yesterday. And a biblical viewpoint, Jesus, that is derived from study, prayer, and fellowship. The compass, our compass, is the Holy Spirit. And he is the one that guides us into all truth. That is your compass. And we're going to read right quick in John 16. John 16. 12 through 13. John 16, 12 through 13. There is so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. That's the Holy Spirit. He will not speak of his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory. This is Jesus speaking. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said, the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. So the Holy Spirit is the compass. If, if morality was kind of set up like that, the compass is going to be the Holy Spirit. He's the one that's going to say, I want you here. No, I want you there. No, I want you to think this. No, I want you to pray for this. No, I want you to do this. The Holy Spirit is the compass. He's the one that is giving you the understanding for this behavior. He's the one that's helping you fight the flesh. The Holy Spirit. That's his whole point. 
It's funny when, it, it, when Jesus, when they were asking Jesus, you know, no, no, just stay with us. He goes, uh-uh, I got to go. I got to go because when I go, the advocate's coming, your comforter's coming, the, the Holy Spirit that helped me to overcome because he lived a sinless life from birth to death. The only one to ever walk this planet who did. He lived a sinless life and he said, I was only able to do it because I always tapped into the Holy Spirit. He was 100% man, so he had this flesh. He was 100% God, so he had this spirit. And he was able to tap into this spirit 100% of the time and overcome the flesh. And he was able to do that because of the Holy Spirit. And he did it to show you and I that we too can tap into this spirit and not let this flesh override us. Yes, there are times, and we don't make excuses for it, that we dive into that, but we learn from those lessons and dive into the Spirit. And don't feel condemned today, you know, as we're talking about this, oh man, I always fall into the flesh. God knows where you are in your journey, and His, His goal is to always get you to move here. You may not get it today, you may not get it tomorrow, but when you stay in prayer and praise and fellowship, you will start moving in this more and more every single day. It's a guaranteed fact. It's non-negotiable because the truth operates in the spirit. Absolute truth will always operate in the spirit and you will begin to move in this more. I can say that in my own life and any of you who've been living uh, this life as a Christian can say that too. There are things years ago that I thought I would never get over the struggle and I don't even think twice about them today. I just, I just don't even think about them. I, it doesn't even cross my mind. The temptation will come. Oh, go ahead. Nobody's looking. You have enough stock in the church. You have a, a, enough of a good reputation. It's okay this one time. Oh, no, Satan, it's not. Because this one time I open the door, behind that door could be a flood, a tsunami ready to come in. So that door is staying locked. As a matter of fact, I'm going to cement that joint up. Because we're walking in the spirit. Now, I want to close out with the opposites of truth. There are three opposites of truth. There are three opposites of truth. Number one, opinion. Nobody cares about your opinion. I know there are times you have to give it, but when it comes to morality and truth, nobody cares about your opinion. God certainly doesn't. He's already giving you the facts. He's already told you what truth is. So your opinion does not matter. And too much today, especially in the church, we dive into opinion. Sermons are preached on opinion. Lessons are taught on opinion. If I got up here and never opened one biblical scripture, it would be all my opinion. And that's not where it goes. When you move, this occurs, opinion occurs when you move in the realm of feelings, emotions, pride, fear, desire for acceptance, stubbornness, anger, and the like. You move into opinion. When you're operating in those. Let's turn to Proverbs 18 too. 
Proverbs 18.2. You there? I want you to see it in person. Proverbs 18.2. Fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their opinions. You operate an opinion? You're a fool. Look at the person next to you and say, I hope you're not a fool. Some of y'all were like, I'm not saying that to them. <laughs> you operate an opinion, you're a fool because opinion is an opposite of truth. God has given us truth and we stand on it. Your opinion, and this is what most of the news media does today. Yes, I'm going to hit on that. Stop consuming so much news, news uh, 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 media because it's mostly opinion. They have an agenda. They need to sell ads and they want to get you fired up. They need ratings. Stop getting your opinion from that. I've seen so many Christians get in the pulpit or in casual conversation and they're airing the opinion they saw in the news media or they read on some documentary or they watched on some YouTube video or they see some from social media and their opinion is counter to the truth that God has for his humanity. And they want to cover it and think it's okay. Your opinion makes you a fool. Number two, the opposite of truth. This is a new one that's only come up. Alternate facts. Alternate facts. They don't like the facts given. They give alternate facts. You know what this is called? It's called lying. You can call it fake news if you want to. The Bible calls it lying. There is no alternative to the truth. The opposite is false and fake. And I want to give you a warning. Sarcasm. Cynicism, certain types of joking, omission, leaving certain pertinent details out, those are not from God. And we have to check our motives. That stuff comes from a motive. This has a motive behind it. You're trying to sell something. You're trying to make yourself look better. There's a motive behind it, and that motive is usually from the flesh. And you create an alternate, an alternate fact, an alternate universe. The Bible calls it lying. Let's turn to Proverbs 26. 18 to 19. Proverbs 26. 18 to 19. This is going to hit home a little bit. And there's a reason I like to read it in the NLT. Just as damaging as a madman shooting a deadly weapon is someone who lies to a friend and then says, I was only joking. When we're busted on something. No, no, I was, I was just kidding. I was just kidding. No, because in jokes and in sarcasm, and listen, I, I'm American number one and I can be a jokester. But God has hit home on me so many times about this. Joking, cynicism. Sarcasm, omission. I'm going to use it. You ever heard the term, quote unquote, BS? Yeah, right? 
not going to spell out what that means. You can ask your neighbor. We omit something. Oh, yeah, I mean, man, we went in that meeting. That was great how you spun it. That was great how you made it sound. By omitting certain facts, spinning it a certain way to sound how you wanted it to sound. The Bible calls it straight up lying. It's as deadly as a madman shooting a weapon. When you look to a friend and you say, I was just kidding, because you realize they don't like what you're telling them. Or you realize something. It is just flat out lying. When you present alternate facts to the real facts. Politicians are great at this. The media is wonderful at this. Entertainment lives for this. They live for alternate facts. They'll create movies and you're like, wow, I didn't even know that. You didn't know that because half of it's not real. If they took some of the stories, these based on true stories, where half of us get our information from, I saw it in the movie. It's called Hollywood licensing. They take the story and they drive it up a little bit because you wouldn't go see the movie. They were driving down the street, got in a car accident, one of them died. Well, that's the shortest movie known to man. They give you the background. And they're driving the windy road and the music. And you're like, oh, it's coming, it's coming. Oh! They play on your emotions. And if the story doesn't line up completely, we'll fudge it a little here and there. And, I mean, they do it with the actors. You ever seen in movies, you, you see a movie and they have this, you know, this beautiful actor or actress playing it. And then all of a sudden, that's what you think. And at the end of the movie, they show you the real person and you're like, huh? Well, that was definitely different looking. Or we love to romanticize history. Movies are great at that. And so many of us watch Downton Abbey and we're like, oh, I wish I lived in the... Those were such good times. So innocent. Because you think you live upstairs. Most of us would be living downstairs. And it was not as nice as they made it sound. We romanticize it. Those are alternate facts when we change history, when we change the stories. That's just called lying. The last opposite of truth is tradition. Tradition. This is when we allow the ideas and concepts of man to override the truth. Tradition. This is when we just, this is man enforced. Man enforced. Not God enforced, man enforced. And we have to be careful not to use tradition as a scapegoat for subtle rebellion or to move us into alternate facts or opinion. Many times, especially within the church, we will use tradition as a scapegoat for rebellion. Well, that's just how we've always done it. That's how, this, 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 is, this is how we do it. Well, is that how God wants it done? Where did that come from? Or, well, this is our tradition. Well, where did the tradition come from? Well, our senior pastor from 1950 that this, he got the word from the Lord, and this is a, so it's his opinion 
that you've made a tradition, and now we have to keep doing it in 2019. Perhaps in 1950, that's what God was speaking to him and wanted him to do because he understood the culture and society he was living in. But in 2019, we have a different culture and society, and God doesn't stop speaking, and he didn't stop in 1950. He's still speaking today. And so he's saying it's time to let that go. Because in today's society, we've got to reach them for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's different than 1950. Or we want to use tradition as alternate facts. Well, where did that come from? I, I, don't, I don't know if that's true. I, I think maybe we picked that up somewhere along the way and we just made it a tradition. I could go through a lot of traditions that were just made up. The core was made up. It was a lie. But we stuck with it because it was kind of a little white lie or it was just a, a little something. It didn't really upset the apple cart too much. Let's turn to Mark. Mark 7, 5 through 9. Mark 7, 5 through 9. Now, this is Mark's version of the same thing we read a little earlier. Actually, we read it down in 2023, so we're kind of at the top now. We talked about the hand-washing. Well, now we're going to review that. Mark 7, 5 through 9 says, So the Pharisees and teachers of religious law asked him, Why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. Jesus replied, You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship, their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. Then he said, You skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold, to, to, in order to hold on to your own tradition. And he goes on to talk about how Moses says, honor your father and mother, and you just throw that out when ministry comes in. Tradition. Man-enforced. We have to be careful. When we're speaking in truth, and when we're speaking to others about truth, make sure that first you have the heart and the mind of God, and that whatever you're going to tell them and your motive is not birthed in opinion, it's not birthed in an alternate fact, and it's not birthed in a tradition. Because if it's birthed in one of these three things, you are misrepresenting God, and you are misrepresenting the truth of Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, I'm going to close in prayer, and then I think some people have made us some lunch. Can we stand for a moment? I hope now as we get ready to go into the rest of the, the day, you now have a, a, you're chewing on an understanding and the definition of truth and morality, right? And I hope I haven't spoiled your lunch. No, <laughs> let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your truth the truth of your word, the truth in Jesus Christ, the truth of who you are. God, I ask that you would forgive us for all the times that we spoke our opinion 
or that we lied and called it alternate facts or that we held on to a tradition that perhaps isn't what you are asking us to hold on to. God, I, I, I ask that you would forgive us for any time that we focused more on a behavior than the root cause of it, oh God, and trying to understand someone, trying to actually be able to open the door for us to share truth with them, God. I pray, oh Lord, that you would help us, not only forgive us, but help us to move forward, oh God, and to walk into truth, to understand truth, to be able to articulate it, even in the vernacular that we know. We don't have to be eloquent speakers, oh God, but our life should just live out truth, oh God, and we should be able to let it just radiate off of us. God, whatever we're struggling with, whatever we're going through, God, I help us that I pray that you would help us apply the truth to our life. Lord, I know this journey isn't easy and we do make mistakes, but you're so faithful. Your Holy Spirit is faithful to walk with us. Your Holy Spirit is faithful to keep us. Your Holy Spirit is faithful to help us and to change us and transform us into who you want us to. And God, I pray that it is based on the truth of you. And that our moral compass is always guided by the Holy Spirit. It is founded in Christ and guided by his spirit. Lord, I thank you for the privilege that we've had this morning to dive into your word. And I look forward to what you're going to do later today. I ask that you would bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies. God, I, I pray that you would bless those who sacrificially gave to make this food, whether in, in resources or time. And God, I pray that you would just honor them for that. And Lord, I pray that you would allow us to have wonderful time of fellowship and conversation today. Let your joy, I know we're speaking on some hard-hitting topics, but God, let your joy permeate this place today because your spirit is a spirit of joy. Even when we have to learn hard things and talk about things, there's a joy that comes from that. And so God, as we chew on your truth today, let joy be on our hearts as we break bread together. We thank you for that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.